such an interesting passage in um, the society and the culture that we live in, not, not to neglect, because there Jesus instructs that if you're seeking after the Lord, you'll be able to discern or you'll be able to judge if the message is of the Lord or not of the Lord. And then he concludes by, by saying that we are not to judge by outward appearances, but that we are to judge with right judgment. And that's an interesting verse of Scripture in the society and the culture that we live in today, because if there is one word outside of the word of love that I would propose to you has been hijacked uh, by the flesh and the world and by society that rejects Jesus Christ, it is the word judge. It is the word judgment. And oftentimes what has transpired and does transpire is that the world takes this word and it gives it a new definition, and it tries to disciple the church, and it tries to disciple Christians with an understanding of a biblical term or a biblical word uh, with a new definition. And what we cannot afford to do, church, is allow the lost and the dying to disciple those that belong to Christ. It is not the world that disciples us. It is not the world that redefines for us what it is that God has revealed to us in his word. And I'm sure that as a follower of Christ, you have either yourself experienced this thing or seen another believer experience this or seen it in a general sense to where the world tells the church that we are not to judge. Maybe you yourself have been told that as a follower of Christ that you are not to judge. Now, the question is, is that an accurate statement? Is that something that God has taught us? If so, where is it found in Scripture? And if it is found in Scripture, what is the context and the application for us as followers of Jesus Christ today? And so with this idea in mind of individuals outside of the church and society as a whole that would say the church and followers of Jesus Christ are not to judge... Let us open God's word and allow it to open our hearts and to open our minds and to open our eyes so that we have a better understanding of what it is that God has called us to as followers of Jesus Christ in relation to our attitudes towards the sins of others. And so if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 in a message entitled, The Proper Attitude Toward the Sins of Others. Uh, the proper attitude toward the sins of others. And what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, as we get ready uh, next week to conclude that, is we see that we've really come full circle. Uh, where we started this sub-series of the Sermon on the Mount, we began actually in verse 7. And I want to remind us of the reality that the Sermon on the Mount are, is not a list of things that we must do so that we can earn salvation. It, are, it is character traits and it is actions of one who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and are living their faith out. And that is why in verse 7 we are reminded uh, that we can't do anything apart from the Lord that we must ask so that we will receive. Well, what is being said in verse 7 when it says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find it, knock and it will be opened to you, The it is everything that has preceded this. 
The it is the Beatitudes. The it is uh, uh, anxiety and worry and being freed from that. The it is seeking after the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. The, the it is how we deal with anger and how we deal with divorce and retaliation and our enemies. All of those various things that we are called to, what Jesus wants to remind us is we cannot do it in our own power and our own strength. We must have a new heart given to us through faith in Jesus Christ, and then we must abide in him, remaining in him as the Holy Spirit works in and through us. And so we come to this this portion, the end of the middle section. The the introduction is Matthew 5, 1 through 12. The middle section is 5, 13 uh, through 7, 13, or excuse me, through 7, 12. And then the, the conclusion is 7, 13, Uh, all the way through the end of chapter 7. And so this morning, we look at verse 1 of chapter 7, and God's Word says, Judge not, that you be not judged. And individuals who have uh, no recollection of whether Jesus was born in Nazareth or Nebraska know this verse. They can quote this, they can quote this verse. They don't know it's Matthew 7, 1, but they know somewhere in Scripture it says, judge not. Hey, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, judge not. They, they know this verse. The problem is they don't know the rest of the passage. And oftentimes, because we don't know the context and the rest of the passage, we kind of say, yeah, I think that is in Scripture. And, and so we take this position that is being dictated to us by the lost and the dying as opposed to the life-giving Heavenly Father who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to empower us with His Holy Spirit so that we could live our faith out for His glory. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is somewhat of a difficult passage, but when we understand the context... And we understand the whole counsel of God, and we take this teaching in light of that, uh, then we will see that what God is calling us to is something that is imperative for us as followers of Jesus Christ uh, to to understand and to apply to to our lives. And we would be remiss uh, for Jesus to point us to the fact that apart from, from prayer and reliance upon God, we can't do any of the things that he's preached on the Sermon on the Mount uh, we would be foolish to think that we are different in any capacity than that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we, we besiege your throne, Lord, in full recognition that there is no way that we can properly apply any teaching of your word to our lives apart from you. Lord, we, we can't do it uh, apart from a new heart that is given to us by faith in Jesus Christ. Just your grace and your mercy. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we cannot do this apart from your Holy Spirit at work in our, in our lives, apart from your word. So help us, Lord, as we look at this most vital of passages in the society and the day that we live, to have a full understanding of what it is that you desire for us to know, who you desire us to be, and what you desire us to do. And so, gracious Heavenly Father, be with us as we open your word. Draw us closer to one another, Lord, collectively. 
and draw us closer to you uh, individually, Lord. We praise you and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 through 5 says this, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? Now, without going into too much theological detail about what this is, let us just suffice to say that here we are instructed of the fact that, that God desires for us to judge. Uh, that God desires for there to be judgment within the life of the church. Matthew 7, 15, just a few verses down from where we are going to spend our time together this morning, we see that Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. If you don't make a judgment between a sheep and a wolf, he says you're going to be devoured. So, so here we see in just two instances, and they're riddled throughout the New Testament, that, that we are called to make judgment decisions. That we are called to, to, to judge between right and wrong. We're, ju- we're called to judge between good and evil. We're, we're called to judge between sheeps and wolves. John 7, 24 uh, has been read for us. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. This is a command from Jesus to Christ's followers that we are to judge. But not to the judge by appearances, but to judge with right judgment. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what does it mean to judge rightly? So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at at what this text is not saying. We're going to look at what this text is saying. And then we're going to look at some key things that we need to apply to our lives to implement this uh, into our lives and into our our faith. And so whatever we see in verse 7-1, judge not that that you be not judged. Uh, Whatever we see in that, we know that it can't mean that we never make any kind of judgment. We know in light of all of Scripture, we can't divorce one verse from the rest of Scripture. We, we can't just take that one verse and build a theology based upon that. As much as the lost and the dying world would, would want us to be discipled in that manner, we have to understand in light of the whole counsel of God, what Jesus is not saying is Jesus is not saying that we never judge, that we never make judgment decisions, that we don't discern between right and wrong. But because there is so much misinterpretation of this passage of Scripture, uh, let us look at what Jesus is not saying, right? What what Jesus is not saying is this. the, The proper attitude toward the sins of others is not silence. Jesus is not teaching us to be silent. Jesus is not teaching us to, to just cower in a corner, to be passive in the pews, to be silent outside of these four walls. That's not what Jesus is is calling us to. That is not what Jesus is teaching us about. As much as the world would say, whatever it is that that you want to talk about for now, as long as you do it within the four walls of the place that you choose to gather, that is perfectly fine. But any moment that you take the teachings of Jesus outside of these four walls and vocally proclaim them, That is where the pushback happens. That is where all of the uh, persecution happens. The uh, antagonism happens outside of these four walls. Now, eventually, it will come inside these four walls. 
there are countries in the world today where sure the church can meet. In Vietnam, when we would go and we would minister to, to, to churches in Vietnam and individuals uh, that uh, are believers and we share the gospel, uh, there are churches that literally have to submit, the pastor has to submit their sermon to the governmental authorities for them to look over the sermon to get approval from the governmental authorities before they can preach that sermon. Right now in our country, it's as long as you, you, you gather in these four walls, that's fine. But as soon as it starts to spill outside of these four walls. A man in Arizona was uh, preaching, uh, street preaching, out on the corner, uh, talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and was shot in his head by individuals that did not like the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure the ideology is, don't bring that outside of the four walls. And the message to repent, that is a message of judgment. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not supposed to judge. The proper attitude toward the sins of others is not silence. That's just enabling more sin. That's just encourage. Listen, in my sin, I don't need your encouragement. I don't need your silence. I need your accountability. I need your encouragement. I need you to come alongside of me and not encourage to remain in that, but encourage me to give my life over to Jesus in that specific area. And we're loving when we do that. Think of the biblical example of, of, of David after his sin with Bathsheba. Now, this is the king. To question him could mean death, right? We, we've already seen he, he's, he's willing to kill what he wants to get what he wants. But yet the prophet Nathan comes into his presence. And by using a parable... He points out David's sin in his life. And what resulted in David was a contrite heart and repentance. Praise the Lord that Nathan wasn't silent. Praise the Lord that Nathan didn't give in to the dead and dying world that says you can't judge. You can't say anything. And one of the richest psalms that we have is an overflow of the fact that David was confronted by Nathan in his sin. Listen, when it comes to truth, we're to preach it, Ephesians 4.15. When it comes to truth, we're to worship in it, John 4.24. When it comes to truth, we're to hear it, Ephesians 1.13. When it comes to truth, we are to say it, Romans 9.1. When it comes to truth, we are to love it, 2 Thessalonians 2.10. When it comes to truth, we are to defend it, Philippians 1.17. What Jesus is not calling us to is an attitude of silence. When he says, do not judge, and uh, that you be not judged, what he's, he's not saying is that we're to be silent. We have to understand what the next verses of Scripture talk about. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what standard are you using in your judgment? And what measure are you using in your judgments. Because secondly, the proper attitude toward the sins of others is not self-righteousness. And this is the heart of what Jesus is saying. By what standard are you judging somebody? See, the Pharisees had this ideology that uh, we judge people by, by our standards. And the measure was a measure of works, not a measure of grace. 
What Jesus is, is not saying is that we are to be the standard that we hold other people to. But that oftentimes, that is how we enter into uh, the judgment that Christ is calling us away from. Is is a self-righteous judgment where I'm the standard, where my life is the measurement that I compare other people to. And if they don't meet the standard of my life, if they don't meet the measurement of, of my life, uh, then they, they are not uh, qualified uh, for salvation. And we write whole individuals off because their sin is different than our sin. And what Jesus is calling us away from is this self-righteous judgment that says that I'm the standard and my life is the standard and you have to measure up to me. And what it is that I say is sufficient for salvation. But the point of the Sermon on the Mount is to address the idea within broken and fallen humanity that we're not as bad, at, 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 that, that we're worse than we think we are. See, the mentality in humanity is we're really not that bad. We're wicked and evil individuals left unto ourselves apart from the work of God Almighty. There is nothing that we are not capable of doing. The moment you think, I never do that. Be careful if you think you're standing firm upon whose foundation, your own power, your own strength. Put in a certain situation, who knows what you might do apart from the saving grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is trying to get them to understand is, listen, I'm way more holy than you think I am, and you're way more sinful than you think you are. So the standard is not you. The measuring rod, the plumb line is not us that we judge other people off of. That's what he's saying. Don't judge that you may not be judged for. With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure or the standard you use, it will be used against you. So if your measure and your standard is works, what somebody is or isn't doing, then God says, okay, we'll step up to the plate. And let's judge you by your works. You see, we want to throw ourselves at the feet of Christ, and we want his grace and mercy. But for that other person, it's all on works, what they're doing, what they're not doing. And we start to judge those individuals based upon a system that we would never want our lives to be judged by. He's saying, what standard do you want to judge by, grace or works? You want to judge everybody else and put salvation as a, a, a works-based salvation, but you want to throw yourself to me upon grace? I'll judge you by the works that you want to judge everybody else on. So salvation is by works for everybody else, but grace for you. You better be careful because what God says is I'll judge you by those works that you want to judge everybody else by. So what is the standard? What is the measurement? So we're not to judge uh, uh, or the proper attitude toward the sins of others is not silence. The proper attitude toward the sins of others is not self-righteousness. Think about Luke 18, 9 through 14. Jesus is telling this parable uh, to, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Do we ever fall into that category? We, ha we ever see anybody that's judging other individuals based upon their own standard and their own measurement? I had the privilege of uh, preaching at our state convention uh, the, the, this past Monday. And as I was uh, preaching, I was, I was preaching on uh, looking to Jesus. So the, the, the focus of the, the, the convention uh, was satisfied. What satisfies our soul? And 
It's only Jesus. Only Jesus will satisfy our soul. And so I was preaching from Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, about looking to the, 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 the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Another gentleman comes up and preaches behind me. There's four individuals that preach throughout the, the duration of the convention. Uh, another gentleman gets up behind me. Uh, then the, the last gentleman gets up. And he spends a good probably five to seven minutes of talking about the irreverence of not preaching in a suit. I don't preach in a suit. And the stance that he took was that I was being irreverent to God because outwardly I didn't wear a suit. So he's now judging my heart and the heart of the other two. Now, one dude kind of straddled the fence. He had a blazer with jeans and some Nikes, but. <laughs> based upon his standard, based upon his convictions, not biblical, not biblical convictions. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't preach the Sermon on the Mount on a suit. I guess he was irreverent. And we can do that. We can take standards and measurements that are not of Scripture and self-righteously, we can kind of pat ourselves and stick our chest out, and we can judge everybody else based upon that standard. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says this, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. By what standard and what measurement? And don't we do the same? There were two individuals. One of them went to community baptist on Sunday morning. And the other one showed up late. It smelled like alcohol. Clothes disheveled and dirty. And one stood in the back and said, praise the Lord, I'm not like those homosexuals. Praise the Lord, I'm not like those alcoholics. Praise the Lord that I'm not like those Muslims. Praise the Lord that I'm not like anybody that we want to disassociate from. And we stick our chest out and say, how great am I that, that I come, that I serve, that I'm a part of a community group. I'm so thankful that I'm better than these other individuals. And God says, don't, don't, don't do that. That's the judgment that he's talking about. This judgment that, that comes in, in your own self-righteous nature. L listen to me. We are not saved because we're not like them. We are saved because the one who is nothing like us came and died on the cross for us. That is why we are saved. That is why we're called to be children of God. Not because we have removed ourselves from those people. Because the very author of salvation came and took on flesh and died on the cross for us. 
It's not about not being like them. It's about being like him. And trusting in the salvific work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, we should be the most humble group of individuals on the face of the planet. We should be the most humble individuals on the face of the planet. It should be us. The least self-righteous people should be Christians. Every other religion says it's up to you. So if you obtain some kind of status within their religion, then you can kind of pat yourself on the back. But in Christianity, it's all based upon Jesus. I have nothing to boast in but him. So we don't judge self-righteously. Thirdly, the proper attitude toward the sins of others is not subjectively. It's not subjectivity. I mean, it's not based on feelings, right? There's an objective truth that we must set our standard and our measurements by. Because oftentimes we judge based on our limited uh, view and oftentimes faulty view of things. A lady wrote into Ann Landers uh, one time. Don't ask me how I know this. You read things in prison. She wouldn't typically read. So wrote into Ann Landers one time and was going off that she was at the store, and this lady in front of her had uh, shrimp, this very expensive cake, uh, had all of this decadent kind of food, and uh, had all of this, this, this stuff, and she was paying for it with food stamps. And she didn't get a whole lot of, of food uh, with those food stamps because it was all really high-priced items. And she's thinking uh, that this this lady is uh, really uh, just taking advantage of the system. And she wrote in about how frustrated she was to see this and how neglectful and wasteful this lady was because she was using uh, the proceeds of other individuals' hard work uh, in a very extravagant way. And the next week, there was a, a one that wrote in to Ann Landers and said, I happened to see that, that column last week, and I knew that the lady that wrote in was talking about me, that that was me in the store. That was me purchasing those items. But what that lady doesn't know is that my 8-year-old daughter has been diagnosed with terminal cancer, and for all intents and purposes, this is going to be her last birthday, and I wanted to go all out. So, yeah, I'm going to go hungry the rest of this month until I get the rest of my proceeds that these individuals are working hard for, and thank you for that. But I want to make sure that my daughter knows that this last birthday I may be able to spend with her. I'm going to go all out for it. In our limited view of things, we can see individuals standing on a street corner. We can engage with the individuals that may find themselves in addiction, and we don't know their story. That doesn't excuse the call for them to repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but it does call for us to be sensitive to the fact that we don't know everything about everybody. And let us be generous and charitable. Let's not slip into that pharisaical standard of works as opposed to grace. We don't know what people have gone through. We don't know what people are dealing with. And our scorn and contentment is not going to change the situation. Only the grace of God.
You don't have uh, the right to judge anyone with a different standard than the standard of God. And the problem is we tend to shift the goalposts when it comes to us, doesn't it? The standard that we use for everybody else is one, but when it comes to us, boy, we sure give ourselves a lot of grace and mercy, don't we? Well, if they would have just understood what had gone on, if they just would have understood what was going on when I lost my cool or I lost my temper, if you would just understand what's been happening, just understand what I'm dealing with, but yet when somebody does it to us, boy, we're, we're quick to bring that judgment down. And at the heart of what Jesus is saying is salvation is not dependent upon our judgment of who gets in and who does not. Because if we use that same standard, guess what? None of us are getting in. It's based upon the standard of God Almighty who says, my son who died for your sins on the cross, repentance and faith equates to salvation. That and that alone. But we are supposed, we are supposed to base our decisions off of objective truth. Right, it'll go on. We'll look at this here in a couple of weeks. It'll talk about uh, sheep and in, 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 uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, and it'll say that we need to discern uh, between a grape and a thorn, a fig and a thistle. There, there's judgment that needs to be made. We ought to be able to distinguish between a grape and a thorn. It'd be pretty painful if you don't. This is a grape. This is a thorn. This is a fig. This is a thistle. This is a man. This is a woman. The world would say, you can't make that statement. Objective truth says he made them male and female. Not subjective feelings of what fits into society today, but based upon the word of God. It's not subjective. This is biblical marriage. This is not. This is evil. This is good. This is murder. It's not a medical procedure. And those things are defined not by our feelings or what culture says, but it's defined by the objective truth of God's word. We're just not to judge self-righteously. And we're not to judge subjectively because, listen, the heart is wicked, more wicked than anything else. It's not to be trusted. That's why we need a new one. That's a sanctification process in our lives. So what is Jesus saying? If he's saying, he's saying that judging is not all of that, then what is Jesus saying? Well, what is the motivation? What is the motivation that uh, we ought to operate in as followers of Jesus Christ that are called to make discerning judgments between good and evil? Well, the proper attitude toward the sins of others is submission to God's word. It starts there. It starts with us understanding this is the objective truth, that this is what we build our lives upon, that we understand that I'm submitted to the word of God. Listen, there are things within the word of God that sometimes it makes relationships a little bit difficult. And it would be easier just to say, you know what, I'm not going to stand upon that foundation because I know it's going to go. We're going to have, you're going to have some meals with some individuals here in just a couple of days. And you're going to sit around the table, and there are going to be some individuals 
who are either going to be self-righteous in their judgment or they're going to tell you that you can't judge or they're going to take a different position than, than you in whatever it is that goes contrary to God's word. And the temptation of that devil is going to be for us to just kind of go along with it. But be careful what you go along with because when you go along with it, it's almost as if you're putting your stamp of approval on it. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be hostile. That means we, we have to be hostile. We just give them a little smaller piece of pumpkin pie. Let the whipped cream run out before their turn, you know. That's all. We don't have to be hostile. We need to stand upon truth. And this is truth. Our feelings are not truth. Do not judge refers to the passing of, of harsh, adverse verdicts on the conduct of uh, other image bearers of God. Uh, with our standard instead of God's standard. Th this is the standard that God is calling us to judge all things by. So this passage does not forbid the use of our best critical thinking. Don't judge doesn't mean don't think, don't discern. I love how John Stott says it. John Stott says that this command is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous, to be generous with the grace of God. You were judged by the standard of grace, and praise the Lord for it. So we ought to judge other individuals by the standard of grace, not to just point out flaws, but to point them to Jesus to say he is the one that is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. It's not just to say you're going to remain in this condition forever. It is to say, listen, God calls this sin, and I'm not going to call what God calls sin anything other than what he calls it. It is sin, but guess what? The same grace that saved me is the same grace that is available to save you. Secondly, the proper attitude toward the sins of others is self-examination of one's own life. Notice what he said. Listen, don't, don't go to somebody that has a speck in their eye until you deal with the log that is in yours. Now, now think of how humorous this is. That an individual has this large log. This is like a timber that is used uh, for, for, for rafts for large rafts to, to take merchandise down or, or as a uh, central beam in a house, sticking out of somebody's eye, going to somebody that has a little bit of crust or a little bit of uh, dirt in their eye and saying, did you need to do something about that? He says, don't judge self-righteously. Make sure you judge with self-examination in line as well. So it's the evaluation of others with the examination of self beforehand. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. It just means that we acknowledge that, Lord, there are things in my life as well, and I need to bring those things to you. Because when you start that, boy, you are a lot more generous and a lot more gracious and a lot more loving when you go to your brother who has a speck in their eye. Because people know. If you're walking around with a log and you're acting like the log is not in, in your eye, people know. And when you then try to speak biblical truth into their life, that's why and so many individuals say, I don't want to go to church because it's filled with a bunch of hypocrites. A bunch of individuals walking around with logs in their own eye that they're not dealing with, telling everybody else they need to deal with their own sin. So it's not that we don't ever speak into individuals' lives. We must do it. It's just that we start with ourselves first. So every morning I'm looking at, Lord, what is not of you that is in my life? 
deal with me first. And then an overflow of that because I'm throwing myself upon the gracious love of God Almighty that when I go to point out other individuals, my brothers and sisters in Christ or those that are lost and separated from God by their sin, the sin that is in their life, I'm doing so in full recognition of the fact that apart from Jesus Christ, I have no hope. So my message isn't so sin-based as it is Savior-focused. It's not so much going to individual and say, let me tell you about your sin. It's let me tell you about my Savior and what he can do in light of the sin that is in your life. So when we start with Christ and we minister to other people, it is an overflow of where we started of how we would continue in our ministry to others. Anytime that I have to sit down with, with somebody and counsel uh, deal with somebody that is living in, in sin. I always go to Titus 3, 5 through 6 and, and, and read this first. It says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. So I can't go and, and, and start to tell anybody about a speck in their eye based on self-righteousness because my salvation comes from Christ and Christ alone, but according to his own mercy. So he's a merciful God, and as a representative of him, I ought to extend mercy to other individuals as well. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. When I have that as my starting point and go in to talk to other individuals about the sin that is uh, in away at their life, it puts everything into perspective of my job is not to focus primarily on the sin. My job is to primarily focus on the Savior who in light of them looking will be like Isaiah when he saw Jesus in all of his glory to say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. The more we point people to Jesus and rely upon the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, it makes it so much easier for us to minister to other individuals in their lives. John Stott says this, we have a rose's view of ourselves and a jaundice view of others. Indeed, what we are often doing is seeing our own faults in others and judging them vicariously. That way we experience the pleasure of self-righteousness without the pain of repentance. So we look at other individuals and oftentimes it's the very things that are in ourselves that we haven't dealt with that we find so offensive in other individuals. And we have this rose-colored view of ourselves and a jaundiced view of others. And he's saying, when you put your focus in on Jesus and you look to him, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, then we see all of the other image bearers of God in light of that. Those that are under the wrath through rejection of Christ and those that are under the salvific grace. Because look, here's the truth. We still mess up, right? I still have sin in my life. Now, here's a good indicator. Do you mourn over that? Does it bother you? It bothers me. It bothers me, that sin that is in my life. Are you okay with the sin that is in your life, or does it bother you? It's a good indicator of the sanctification process in in your life. And my sin bothers me. Glorification is the day that we step into heaven and we look exactly like Christ. That won't happen here on this, this earth. So therefore, we are called to our brothers and sisters. We're called to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called to a lost and a dying world. We are just to make sure that the, the logs and the beams that have blocked the flow of love and grace in our lives are removed first. Because if not, they, they damn it up. 
those, those beams that we have in our, our eyes, they, they, they start to prevent us from having love and grace flow. You know the reason why I think so many people in the church don't serve? It's because there's sin in their lives that they aren't dealing with. And the enemy has convinced you because you have that sin in your life that is undealt with, that, that God doesn't want to use you, that he can't use you. And what God is saying is deal with that beam in your eye. Bring it to me every day, every morning. And in that comfort that we prayed about earlier in 2 Corinthians that I comfort you with because I'm the God of all mercies, now take that same comfort and go to other individuals that are struggling as well. Because each of us have a part to play within the life of the body. And we're called to make uh, decisions and discernment and judging of other individuals within the life of the body. That's what it means to love one another, to serve one another, to admonish and exhort one another. Is that when we see something in our brother's or sister's life that we, we tell them about it. But we do so with the understanding that apart from God's grace, I have no hope either. And so I come to you not so that I can belittle you or I can pour more salt into the wound. Because my conversation is not going to be so sin-focused. It's going to be way more Christ-focused so that you understand what God desires for you. And what the abundant life is and what the abundant life isn't. So that leads us to the third. The proper attitude toward the sins of others is serving one another in love. Are you a fault finder or a grace giver? Some people in the church, boy, they're good fault finders. Just look look it. Maybe don't even come to church to worship. Just just come and I'm, I'm fixing a nitpick. I'm... Everybody, every person, everything, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just looking, and I'm looking to find faults because I need to tear other people down to build myself up. Or are you a grace giver? I don't know what's going on in this individual's life. So I'm going to extend the grace that I would want extended to me if I was going through something that nobody else knew about, and maybe I wasn't in the best frame of mind or the best attitude, I'm going to extend grace. And I'm going to look for the good in other individuals. But if I see consistent sin in the life of one of my brothers and sisters in Christ, the most loving thing I can do is go to them and to talk to them. Galatians 5.13 says this, For you were called the freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Serve one another. Help one another. If I've got a beam in my eye, come tell me. The enemy is good at deceiving us at times. Come tell me. We ought to hold each other accountable within the life and the body of the church. I think that's why so many people don't don't, don't want to commit to a church because they don't want to commit to accountability. That's why so many people today, we see structures where uh, the, the, the leaders of the church are so removed and so insulated from the body of Christ because the truth of the matter is they don't want any accountability. And that's a recipe for disaster and destruction. We need each other. And we need to examine each other. We need to discern and see, brother, I see some things in your life that do not match up with the objective truth of God's word. And I love you enough to tell you about it. And I want to call you away from that. And I want to call you back to a closer walk with Christ. Galatians 6, 1 through 2, Paul says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's talking about this idea of gentleness. I've heard it said that Jesus is using this illustration about the eye for a purpose because of how sensitive the eye is. The eye is a very sensitive part of our body. And so he's saying, listen, when, when you're stepping in to this and you're ministering to somebody, souls are sensitive. Let us be gentle with that. You, you can't just, just walk in and start going willy-nilly with people's eyes. You, you can't just, you know, use whatever kind of tools there, there are and just go in and, and rush and, and work on somebody's eyes in a, in a very harsh manner. And the same thing with souls. When we serve one another, we're to do it in love, that that there's this gentleness that is a part of our ministry to one another and our judgment and our discernment of one another. So judgment, or what I think Jesus is talking about, self-righteous condemnation, it's devoid of grace. It's lacking in love, and it's missing the answer to the brokenness that has just been exposed when we bring it to individuals' attentions. In other words, when we don't do this in love, what we're doing is we're revealing a wound in order to inflict more pain and infect it with more rot. Because if we don't in turn point them to Jesus, if we don't in turn point them to the one who died for those sins and can work in their sins, all we're doing is pointing them back to themselves. And that's just more rot. It's just more decay upon decay upon decay because they're looking to the lost and the dead things of the world to bring them healing and wholeness. We have to point people to Jesus. Our sin has to be brought to our attention in light of the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins upon the cross. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, to everyone. doesn't mean that we affirm everybody, right? The, the idea now is that we are to embrace all truth is equal. Not all truth is equal because some truth is a lie. We're not to embrace everybody's ideology as equivalent to truth. That's not what God has called us to. In fact, this is what we are to use as a filter for all ideologies and philosophies of this world. We're to take it through the filter of the standard of God's word, and then we are to discern if whether or not it is accurate and true from God or if it is a false teaching from the world. He goes on to, to say that be kind, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, patiently enduring evil. Let's not be so quick to write individuals off, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And isn't that what we want? I feel like sometimes we engage with individuals, and the last thing we want is salvation for them. You don't deserve it. I hope you don't get it. This group of individuals. As evil as they are, it's whatever atrocities they have committed. I pray that you don't ever get salvation. My goodness. I'm glad nobody ever prayed that for, for, for me. Maybe they did. I'm so thankful for the ones that were on the other side that were saying, Lord, please, he needs salvation. Is that our heart's desire when we see sin in somebody else's life? 
Is, is our heart's desire to elevate ourselves and say, at least I'm not like him? Or is it to be broken to say, they are separated from you and your love and your grace and your mercy. And I desire for them to be saved and to be set free. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let's be mindful that our war and our battles are not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of this dark age. And so those individuals that are held captive and in bondage to sin, let us point them to the Savior, but let us do it gently and lovingly because we once were held in captivity as well. Now, verse 6. Verse 6 is a strange verse. And we need a little bit of understanding of what this is talking about. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So what does this mean? At what point do we stop? What point? Who are the dogs? Who are the hogs? And at what point do we stop throwing holy things before them? All right? Well, let me say this. We're called to be shepherds. Hogs and dogs don't have shepherds. These are the individuals that reject the, the, the truth of Christ. Now, we're never to stop preaching the gospel. Don't ever take this to mean. I think the devil has twisted the thing. At some point in time, you just stop preaching the gospel to somebody. You never stop preaching the gospel to somebody. But those marks and measurements uh, of Christ, those sanctifying works of Christ, those things that we are called to as believers of Jesus Christ that we could never do apart from a new heart, uh, and the Holy Spirit at work inside of us, there, there's no point in you sitting there trying to call people to live a Christian life if they haven't placed their faith and trust in Jesus. The lost are lost. We, we seem so befuddled when lost people act like lost people. The message that we never give up on them with is the message of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But if we're calling the people to live a Christian life holy standard that God reveals for us, and they haven't even placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're just throwing your pearls before swine. You're giving holy things to dogs. They're not going to live like that apart from first placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Have you, have you ever gone on an overseas mission trip? Anybody ever gone on an overseas mission trip? And you hit the language barrier? What, what, what do we typically try to do when we run into somebody that has a language bear. I'm going to start talking a little bit louder because if I get a little bit louder, all of a sudden you're going to understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. Or you start doing hand gestures as if all of a sudden you know how, how to do sign language. The E. Restaurant, you know, you start, and what God is saying is, listen, they don't speak the language of Christ. And we sit here to the lost and the dying world, and we try to get louder and louder and louder. And they're like, I don't understand what this cat's talking about. I, I, I have no idea. It's some, I, I don't know. He's brushing his teeth. I don't know. I don't know what he wants to do. Our breath stinks. I have no idea. Don't do that. They're not going to live like a Christian. So the message is Christ came. 
Christ died. Christ rose. You never give up on that. That's the message that we preach. But when we say, man, why aren't you living like Christ? And they're not believers. You're just throwing what's holy before dogs and you're throwing pearls before swine. And they'll trample you because they don't understand what you're telling them. They think you're telling them you've got to earn salvation by doing these things. They think you're teaching moral deism. Here's this God, and if you can be moral enough, you can get to him. And there's a frustration that is already in their hearts where they know whether they want to articulate it or not. They know they're separated from God, and they know that their own good works can't get them as hard as they try because it never brings them peace. And when we just throw this at them, this moral deism of, hey, you need to be better. You need to do these things. You need to stop doing these things. They don't have the power to do it, so it only causes more frustration. You ever been with your kids? And you're asking them to do something that they can't do? Like be quiet for a little bit? You give them a task that you know they they can't do it? It would be absurd for them to to try? Hey, AJ, I want you to go out back, and I want you to build a playground set. And here's the dimensions, and here's the blueprints, here's the plans, and here's the tools. Now, have at it. That brother's crying within two minutes. Oftentimes, we do the same thing. Hey, I want you to be holy. I want you to be conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here you go. And the frustration sets in because they're like, I I can't do that. Exactly. Because that's not the message for you. The message for you is repent and believe. Because anything else is just us speaking at the top of our voice to individuals that don't understand the words that are coming out of our mouth. That's why we point them to Jesus. And when they place their faith and trust in Christ and receive a new heart and are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, then we come alongside of our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, now this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Because as Jesus will uh, transition out of this right into where we started, do not think, or uh, excuse me, right into ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And what is the it? Everything that he has just taught. Everything it is that he has just taught. In other words, we can't do those things in our own power and our own strength. And so we point people to Jesus. Not being silent or self-righteous or subjective in our judgment, but doing so submitted to God's holy word as the objective truth after having first self-examined ourselves and doing it with a motivation of serving one another in love. Now, the question is, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? And if you haven't, you'll never experience the freedom that comes the life lived for Christ. And if you have, have you examined the logs that are in your own eye? And have you brought those before the Lord? And are you committed to loving one another in the biblical commandment of serving and discerning 
of what it is that each of our brothers and sisters in Christ around us need. And are we doing it with a loving attitude to see them grow more into the image of Christ than they are now tomorrow?